0: Village church? I'm Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at the Village, and we take things really seriously here. The church is a black tie event for us. All kidding aside, my name's Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church, and uh, 29 years ago, this July, I wore this exact tuxedo, and I got married to this woman right here, and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it kind of fits. And so uh, good, good life gold, gentlemen. You know, um, so I, I kind of misspoke a little bit. It wasn't this exact tuxedo. Uh, I didn't wear the Jack Purcells because back then we weren't as cool as all of you young people who wear like crazy shoes with your tuxedos these days. But the jacket is a little longer. I took it out. It does have one little hole in it now, babe. And, but we've tried to keep this stuff clean to remember the day um, we were married. And so um, 29 years ago this July, this for us. And uh love this gal more than ever. Um, she uh, hasn't changed much, as you can see. And uh, there's, there's one subtle change for me. Um, one subtle change for me, but... <laughs> so, well, listen, uh, if you're new with us this morning, we have been in a series in the Gospel of Luke that we've really been enjoying, actually. And as pastors, when we sat down and looked at this, we said to ourselves, you know... It's gonna be 18 months in the Gospel of Luke, and we should break this up from time to time, place to place, and this seemed like a good place to do that. Our pastors is also, have also talked about this idea that there are a lot of marriages in the life of our church. Our church is filled with all kinds of people, and there are a lot of people in our church who are married and married with kids, and there aren't a lot of opportunities to address that in an all-church setting. I know, size laughing, like, you can't look at me, huh? It's like, is this hard? Is, did, I make it, did I make a mistake? Um, so, so the second reason is we, 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 we just want an opportunity to address the issue of marriage in an all-church setting, and this seemed to be the good time. And, well, February is, um, is that month where we all acknowledge that made-up holiday by Hallmark. Do you guys know the one I'm talking about? Yes. And so for, for me now, fortunately, um, now February 14th is just my middle daughter's birthday. And so it's wonderful, February 14th, middle daughter's birthday. So uh, we, don't, we don't, well, we observe the fake holiday a little bit around our house, right? All right, you want to talk about marriage? We're going to talk marriage for one week, one week on marriage. So if you're going to talk about marriage for one week, what would you talk about? And um, if I were to talk about one thing, if I were to narrow it down to one thing this morning, and I I kind of do because we don't have a lot of time, narrow it down to one thing this morning would be the issue of oneness, actually, in marriage. That would be the one issue is the issue of oneness in my mind. At the end of the day, the one thing about marriage is the issue of of oneness, and this emphasis on oneness should make sense to us. It should make sense to us, especially as Christians, because as Christians, we serve, we love, we follow, we are devoted to a God who exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is one in nature, and one in essence, and one in purpose. And so it would make sense that if we are created in the image and likeness of God, and we are that as we come together in marriage, the whole center of marriage would revolve around this idea of oneness, that we would be reflecting something of the character and nature of God in our marriages through the oneness that exists in our marriages. And the Bible says it this way in Deuteronomy 6. We know it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And so, it, again, would make sense that marriage would be centered on oneness, and it is, and it would make sense that the Bible talks about this often, and it does. If the Bible is centered on the issue of oneness in marriage, it tells us something about the center of of marriage, and that is oneness. And it starts with the first marriage in Genesis chapter 2. We see, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. From the very beginning, from the very first marriage, we see that The the one issue is the issue of oneness. When that marriage is created, when that marriage is consummated, the issue at hand is oneness. And we see this throughout the Bible. We see this really pointedly in the teaching of Jesus. If we fast forward all the way to the New Testament, when, when Jesus is teaching and preaching, some people come and try to trip him up on the issue of marriage and divorce. And what does Jesus do? He goes back to the beginning. He, he says, this is the way that it was from the beginning. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but, but they're one. And Jesus goes on to say, therefore, what God has joined together or brought together, let not men separate. And you might hear that in weddings. And if you're not yet a Christian, you might have heard uh, an officiant in a wedding say this, but, but it comes from Jesus, it comes from the Bible, it comes from the Word of God, it comes from God's design for marriage is that when we are brought together as one, one man, one woman for one lifetime, that's the biblical model for marriage, men ought not to separate that because a husband and wife become one and as the early church got started, we see this in the life of the early church. It's not only in Genesis and the first marriage and it's in teaching of Jesus, but we see it in the life of the early church where Paul is teaching on marriage. And what is Paul gonna do? He's gonna say, I'm gonna go back to what, what Genesis says. I'm gonna go back to what Jesus says. We're gonna keep things consistent here, Paul tells the Ephesian church that lived in a culture that didn't value marriage the way that we would value marriage as Christians. In a city and culture that, was trying to redefine marriage or didn't value marriage by breaking marriages apart or spouses being unfaithful to each other and it becoming, well, acceptable culturally or men having certain preferences but not as husbands but not the wives. Ephesus was a place that was steeped in sexual immorality and unfaithfulness. And so what Paul says is what the Bible always says. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and paul goes on to say this is a mystery it's profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church we'll talk about that at the end of our time together this morning so marriage is all about oneness throughout the bible but but you might be asking yourself well how do i how do i do that how do i cultivate a marriage that's centered on and filled with oneness in this way for the sake of my marriage but also for the sake of my marriage Imaging something of who God is, one in nature and essence and purpose. How do we actually do this? And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to answer that question of how by talking about five essential areas of oneness. And after we do that, we hop around in Scripture just a little bit. We're going to get to our passage here in Acts chapter 18, and we're going to look at one, uh, one case study, one great example of a biblical marriage that was really centered on Christ and filled ...with a biblical kind of oneness. And so if you have a desire to experience more oneness in your marriage... ...but you don't know where to start... ...this morning I'm going to do my best to give you just five places where you can begin. And if you're here this morning and you have a desire to be married... ...but you're not yet married... ...these are five things I believe you should be thinking about. You can be thinking about as you, as you pray about marriage, as you pray for marriage... And as you plan for marriage one day, these are five things that could apply for you as well. And these five things won't give you the oneness that you're looking for in your marriage in and of themselves, but my prayer is that, that this would give us some kind of context for cultivating that kind of oneness in marriage. We're going to start somewhere really, really simple this morning. And the first place we're going to see this is that, that we need to have one God. If we're going to have oneness in our marriage, we have to have just one God, Jesus, when he was questioned about this. What's the most important commandment? What's the thing that's at the heart of the worship of the God of the Bible? Jesus said, the most important thing is this. Hear, O Israel, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6, the Lord your God is one. And then he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus says the most important thing about being a Christian is your complete devotion To me, your complete devotion to me is the one true God. The most important thing about being a Christian is our complete and utter devotion to Jesus Christ above anything or anyone else. If you and your spouse are not one in this and on this, you won't have the oneness that you desire in marriage. If you and your spouse are not one on the one thing that should be central to your marriage, if you and your spouse are not One on the one thing that you both love the most with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. If you're not one on the one person that you are devoted to more than one another, you'll never have the kind of oneness that God designed marriage to have. I think oftentimes, even within the church, and I've been pastoring for 25-ish years and seen a lot of marriages lot have gone awry, and by God's grace, many have, have thrived. But, but seeing this over, I guess, a quarter of a century now, in this specific context in pastoral ministry, one of the things I've seen is that oftentimes we assume we are devoted to the same God, and in the end, we actually kind of aren't, even within the church. Unfortunately, many times, people have devoted their lives to false gods, and so they, they have a fractured marriage. They don't have the oneness in marriage that they desire, that they long for, that they're looking for, because at the end of the day, they said the right thing, because you're part of this sort of social club that's revolved around the Bible or Jesus or nice commandments or rules, but they're not actually devoted to Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It can be really easy to have false gods, even ones that make sense, like work and career, like to get married and to say, how are we gonna do this? (laughs) How are we going to provide for ourselves? Where are we going to live? How are we going to earn a, a living? You know, how are we going to have the money to raise a family? And so focusing really on career tracks. And, and if you're not one on, on who you're devoted to primarily, that can also affect your work and how you approach work. And in the early years of marriage with who's working and how often are we working and it, when, if or when is there a transition in that? And are you staying home and how is that going to work? And how we, you get on this career track and you can idolize career, and kind of forget a little bit about the main love that you have in your marriage. Because you just, you, you love your marriage so much, or you love money so much, or you could even love your family so much. Family could even be a false god that you're devoted to. You're devoted to raising a good family that does good things and is looked upon well by, by other people, more than even your devotion to Jesus himself as your Lord God, Savior, in Christ. Maybe even legacy, the idea of, you go getting on in life, and you're like, we've raised our kids, and now the goal is legacy. And I want to say, no, the goal is Jesus and your devotion to him. And whatever legacy comes out of all that he provides for you, it's so easy to assume we're, we're devoted to the same thing as the main thing. Paul would remind Timothy, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And there is only one God, Jesus Christ. And there is only one mediator between God and man. But I will tell you this morning, there's also only ultimately one mediator between a man and his wife. And this is good stuff for marriage when we consider how God has united us together with himself. If you've been married more than a few years, you know that you might need some mediation in your marriage. You might need some reconciliation in your marriage. You might need to come to one another and say, hey, are we on the same page about what we're one on and what we're united on and what we're devoted to? One God is where it begins. And I just wanna step aside for a second and say, if you're not yet married, if you're a youth group student or if you're a college student, you're a young person in the life of this church, you're not yet married, you're a single adult, you're not like yet married, I wanna tell you, this is so important. If you want an inkling of the, of the, of the oneness that you desire and long for in marriage someday, Marrying someone who is devoted wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ is the absolute top priority. Can someone that's married say amen to that? I mean, that, that, that is just, there, there is zero substitute for that. And you can look in, at, a, at an example here that, oh, well, it worked out okay for them and worked out okay for them. I'm just telling you, not for very long. Because the one thing or the one person that you're both devoted to is the one thing that keeps your life devoted to one another. And it has to be Jesus. And you can't just settle for another person that's saying like, oh yeah, you know, I went to church when I was growing up and yeah, I, I mean, I would say I'm a Christian. No, you want someone who's devoted to Jesus Christ the way that you are. That's, that's where it's at. One God. Secondly this morning, one bed. Hope no one brought their little kids in here this morning. But Hebrews 13, four. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral, and the adulterous. To be one with each other, I'm just going to say it plainly, you have to make absolutely certain that you're not becoming one with anyone else in any way, shape, or form. Let me say that again. If you want to be one in your marriage with your spouse, you have to be absolutely certain that you are not becoming one in any way, in any shape, or in any form with anyone else. Or there will not be the kind of oneness that, that God designed for you and that you would joyfully have an enjoy in marriage. And this is true during marriage. He says, God will judge the adulteress. That is, the person that breaks their marriage through infidelity. That God is going to judge that in some way. And we don't know all the ways, but can't you imagine? But this is also true in its own sense before marriage. He says that God will judge the sexually immoral. And again, I want to speak to you young people or you single adults or whoever you are and you're not married, I just want to say this is as important before you're married as it is when you get married, that we can be united, we can, we can become united with other people in ways that, that will impact our marriages. Paul says it really plainly this morning. And so this is not like the safe for the whole family version. Paul was not like that. He was right into the Corinthian church and they were a very promiscuous culture. And so Paul just says it straight. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, Paul can quote, the two will become one flesh. Now, I want to say that although this is most true physically, and this is, This is about the physical union or relationship. This is not something emotional. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, I don't know if I can be devoted to my spouse anymore because, you know, they've committed adultery against me emotionally, and it's a biblical reason to be divorced. That's not what the Bible is saying. That's not what any of the verses about this are saying. They're saying when that person breaks that marriage covenant in an actual way, a physical way, that that is one of the two biblical grounds for divorce, but we're not talking about divorce this morning, right? We're talking about marriage. What God is saying is that, that this is most true physically and the scripture speaks about it in that sense, but I, I wanna also say there is some implication. It does have some implications emotionally, mentally, and I have to say, because it's 2024 now, even virtually. A couple of weeks ago, the most popular podcast in the world the most popular podcast in the world was talking about how people are now bringing, bringing AI-created things into their marriage bed. People are now beginning to bring high-functioning robots into their marriage bed. They're not even, it's not even just people. We are a people that is so prone to bring other things into our marriage bed that now we're even looking, as human beings, as ways to do that virtually or ways to do that without with things that are not even human beings. This is true virtually, this is true mentally. This is true mentally as as we talk about the enormous issue of pornography, and I won't talk about it long this morning, but how could you talk about this and not talk about it? Over two-thirds of men in the last year statistically viewing it. Over a third of women now statistically in the last year viewing it. This is true mentally, this is true emotionally. In a recent study, 68% of divorces find that a common element is that one of the partners found someone else online. One of the partners is on Facebook looking up their old high school friend or someone they knew from college, and their wife or their husband is not being attentive to them, and so they're getting sort of emotionally attached to this person. And they're bringing that emotional attachment into their marriage bed. The Bible says none of that. And this happens mentally through pornography. It happens emotionally through these connections that we have with people. The good news is that those who are happily married are 61% less likely to view pornography. People that are happily married don't often do this. Way uh, less often bring things mentally or emotionally, God forbid, virtually, into their marriage bed. So to have the kind of oneness that you and I desire, have the kind of oneness that we desire in our marriages, we have to resist any kind of oneness with anyone else, and at the same time resisting that, have regular times of marital intimacy with one another. And Paul tells the Corinthians this. He says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then continue together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Your sexual Marital oneness is an important part of marriage, and actually so important that Paul says you shouldn't abstain for that except an agreed upon amount of time so that you can devote yourself to prayer. So that Satan may not tempt you because you lack self control. This is a very obvious statement, obvious reality. And I say, what do we do about that? How do we, how do we make our, our bed a kind of a sacred place and a place that we, we, we set aside for, for these things that are really a holy endeavor. I think there's some practical things you could do. I think you should do some practical things. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm, I'm about to give you permission to do some great stuff, all right? So like if you want, if you want new sheets for your bed, you want to do something to like get new sheets, like make it like, yeah, we, we're kind of doing something to spruce up the room or get some new decor in your bedroom. Or if you're like, hey, I got it, you know, we want to get a new bed and just be like, this is our sacred space for us as husband and wife. The wife's like, yeah, see, you know, like Pastor Matt said, we can get the, we can get the new headboard I want, you know. Um, or or do, do something like that. Just be creative. I know we're chuckling, but come on. Let's go. Do something creative. You know, Dean and I put up our wedding picture, and we put up a picture of her and I, and a picture of our family, and on both sides are our wedding vows, and, um, and it's in the shape of a cross, and it's right next to a big wall next to our bed in our, our room. Our, our, our entire marriage is devoted to Jesus and what he's done for us on and through the cross. And so it's right there in our bedroom. Like, we're not ashamed to talk about that. We're not ashamed to say that. I don't know, maybe you want to install a lock on your door, have some ground rules for your kids. You know, growing up, my mom always told us, you have to knock become, before you come into our bedroom. And I thought that was just about being polite. You know what I mean? I just thought, it's just about being polite. It was actually so that I don't have to have counseling, you know, when I grow up. You know, <laughs> It was like, that's actually what it was, you know, it was, it was counseling. I don't want counseling. And You know, it was, but so... But my parents had ground rules. And so, yeah, the wife's like, yeah, you know, we need a new bed. And the husband's like, I know, we need a lock on that door too. You know, like there, there, there are things that you can do. Or Put your marriage vows up in your room like we've done. I'm going to talk to you in a moment about a marriage mission statement. Maybe you want to put that up. All right, should we move on? All right, all right. Yeah, Dina's like, yes, please move on. Okay, one, one, one God, one Bible. Uh, uh, one, one, God, one God, one bed, one Bible. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, self up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. What does this mean and what does it not mean? I, I think what it doesn't mean is that a wife only reads the Bible with her husband. Right? I mean, we're, we're kind of complementarians, but we're not that, right, complementarians. Does that make does that make sense? All right. I thought that was funnier. But, um, um <laughs> or that a husband and wife only read their Bible when they're together. That would be kind of strange. Or that a husband and wife can only have a really healthy marriage if the husband sort of washes his wife with the word through like an hour-long co-quiet time every day. And, and again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not knocking these things. I'm just saying this is not, I don't think, what it means. What does it mean? I think it means that, that you'll, if you want oneness in your marriage, that you'll have a regular time. There'll be a regular time in your marriage where, where you talk about what you're reading in the Bible together. And when you talk about how that impacts the things that are going on in your life and your family and the life of your church family and your community, and you'll be talking about these things together, you'll share those things with one another. I think it, me- it means that we're meant to have marriages that are centered on and saturated in the Bible, in Scripture. And so that would be the one place that we would go in our marriages for wisdom, for all of the things related to our marriages and our family, that we'd go to the Bible always and often for these things. I think that's what it means. And I think it means that husbands should take initiative. I think it means that husbands should take initiative to lead their wives in this thing. They would lead their wives in the truth that we need the word of God to wash over us, that the husband needs to, to wash over his wife with the word of God, that, that to know that his wife is going to need and want him to do this. She's going to want the word of God washed over her because there's going to be so many things about life and marriage and work and family and culture that are coming against her and the husband's going to need to remind her about God's word and they're going to need to talk about it together. It means the husband needs to take initiative to make sure this happens and I would say agree upon how often you will read the Bible together or talk about scripture together and the husband should take initiative of this. And, and can I just humbly say it should be something like at least one time a week and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not giving you just a low bar just to shoot for low bar, I'm just saying most couples are not doing this any times a week. So why don't you just start with one day a week. Like when are you going to sit down? Maybe it's on Friday after you've done the reading plan or Saturday morning when the kids are asleep and you're like, you know, you get up a little early but you want to sleep in. You're just saying, hey, let's just talk about what we've been reading in the reading plan this week together. What stuck out to you? How do we talk about that? Maybe you can do that on a daily basis in the season of your life and that would be wonderful. But pick at least a day where you can do that. Get one reading plan, or get one Bible verse to memorize, or get one theme verse for your family for this season, or your marriage for this season. There's a fourth area of oneness. I think that's not only one God and one bed and one Bible, but one prayer. First Peter three: seven, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered again. I don't think this is saying that husbands have to be perfect to have any of their prayers answered. (laughs) Thank, praise God, you know. Praise God we don't have to have perfect lives for God to answer our prayers. I don't think it's saying that the wife only prays with her husband or the husband's wives only pray together or can only have a healthy marriage if they, you know, pray together for extended periods of time every single day without fail. I, I don't think this is saying that, but I I do think it's saying that there is an assumption that a husband will be praying regularly over and for and with his wife and for their marriage. Again, I think it means that a husband knows that his wife is going to want him to be, to be gentle and patient and understanding. And that she's going to want him to, to pray with her over all kinds of things that might bring her worry or stress or anxiety. It means that the husband is, the wife is gonna want the husband to, to set aside some kind of purposeful time where they can do that together. I think to help create more oneness in the marriage, we should set aside some time to do this. Set aside time to, to pray together every day. Maybe it's even a little amount of time. It could be sentence prayers. Start there. Maybe it's setting aside time to pray together for a lengthy period of time, extended period of time each week. And I know I've said this before, and maybe many of you know, our story in this is that there was a season in our life where I'm like, how do I pray together with Dina at night without just falling asleep? Because if you've been to my house past nine o'clock, you know that I could be talking to you and just fall asleep. You know, like I could, I could be sitting in a chair talking to you and I could fall asleep. So how do, how do we pray together at night and do this? And there was a season in our life where i was like on a run one day, it's going, Lord, how do, how do we do this? How do I do this as a husband? How do we lead my, my wife and my family in these things? And and, you know, what we do now is we take a prayer walk three days a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we shoot for three days. It takes us 55, about 40 to 55 minutes, depending on how fast we're walking. Uh, we walk, we talk, we pray. We pray with eyes open. You can do that. We pray with our eyes open because we're walking, right? And so, uh, <laughs> so um, and, and I would say, um, husbands, I would just say, just as a side, I know, I don't know why it is this way, but I've heard, dozens of husbands say I don't know why it's so awkward it's like she's the person I love the most in life and but it's awkward to pray with her sometime and a leader of prayer like why is that so weird like I can pray with guys easier than I can pray with my wife and I don't know sometimes guys do things shoulder to shoulder so I'm just going to give you just I'm just going to this is for free like walking with your wife you're shoulder to shoulder you know and it does it does cre- it, it has made that easier over the years And it's made our prayer life really robust. We love praying together. And many times, some of you will get a text message from us because we'll be praying for you on that prayer walk after we're praying for one another and for our kids and our family. We pray for our church family. We pray for some of you in particular. And you may have gotten a text, hey, we're on a prayer walk. We're praying for you. This is what we do. Lastly, there's there's at least one more area, I think, and it's one mission. And this is going to transition us into our time talking about Priscilla and Aquila. We'll spend just a few minutes there. Romans 16, 3-4, greet Prisca and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well he says my fellow workers in Christ Jesus Did you notice that that's plural Aquila and Priscilla are always mentioned together in the Bible when they're talked about they're always mentioned together and actually Aquila and Priscilla, and this passage was the passage that the pastor that married us, my my mentor, my spiritual father, used at our wedding. He preached a homily on Aquila and Priscilla. Dina and I were really involved in youth ministry in that day, and we were doing everything together in life and in ministry. And so this, um, not these ideas, but his ideas were the, the basis for that homily in our wedding. And... We want to be the kind of people that when people talk about us, they say something like, Matt and Dina do this, or Matt and Dina are coming over, or Matt and Dina did that, or Matt and Dina were over here, and we want our names mentioned together like Aquila and Priscilla's names. Do you want, your, you want that, right, in the marriage? Yeah. It's plural, but you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, actually, Aquila is the first one mentioned in Acts 18, and, um, and Priscilla is the first one that's mentioned in Romans 16. Um, Aquila is mentioned first in Acts. Priscilla is mentioned first in Romans. And I think it just shows us, just like, they are so united. They are so together. For some reason, Paul chose to address Aquila first, or Luke chose to um, record Aquila first in Luke. And then for some reason, Paul chose to put Prisca first. I think Priscilla's short right name, um, a nickname for, uh, for Priscilla, like, in the beginning, because they're so one. It's just they're both in it together. It doesn't really matter which one necessarily mentioned first. That was a big deal on that day as well. Maybe you and your, um, your spouse want some more, some more union, some more purpose together. Um, this week I'll be sending you out um, a marriage mission statement exercise where it'll help you focus on some of the core, um, the core values of your marriage that you want in your marriage, some of the core focus you want for your marriage, some of the things, the outcomes you want for your marriage. You're gonna draft a little story and you're gonna write a little story about the kind of story you want told about your marriage and at the end you'll draft a marriage mission statement and it'll just be a little exercise. Maybe it would be great to do this week. Um, yeah, create some kind of oneness, maybe over a little Valentine's dinner, who knows. All right. All right, five areas of oneness in marriage. You're like, okay, well, what does that actually look like? I'm trying to give a few examples, um, but the Bible gives us a pretty good example here in Acts chapter 18. And I just want to be honest and say for a moment, um, I kind of wrestled with this a little bit this week as I was putting this together, because as I was looking at this idea of an example, I looked at the Bible and I said, you know, I know God values marriage very highly. He created it. We saw that in Genesis. I know that He, you know, that He says the marriage bed, it it should be kept in honor. God honors marriage. God values marriage for all kinds of reasons. Namely, that it reflects something of Him to to the world. But it's just so interesting that the Bible is filled with a lot of bad marriages. And maybe part of the reason for that is that um, it wants us to see that, like, we're not alone, that, like, it, marriage is hard, and it's good, but it's not easy. But, but there's not a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of really good examples in the Bible of what this looks like, and we find one in the New Testament in the life of Aquila and Priscilla. And my second thought is that maybe this is because, maybe it's because marriage is not the ultimate end or purpose in life. But the ultimate end and purpose of life is our union with Christ and our relationship with him. To take nothing away from marriage because God values it highly, we value it highly, I value it highly, we value that highly in the life of our church. But maybe it's not the ultimate purpose in life. Um, that that said, if you're if you're like a young guy, like a college student, young guy, and you're looking for like a like a cute Christian pickup line, this don't include this. No girl really wants to hear that. You know, they don't want to hear like, I know marriage isn't the ultimate purpose in life, but like you want to try anyway or something like that. They don't. They don't, they don't want to hear the, like, cheesy Christian theology things, like, I know there's no marriage in heaven, but, like, you want to try to make heaven on earth? Or, like, you want to try to, my son's looking at me like, Dad, just stop, you just stop, stop with the, all right, I will stop. We only have a few minutes, so here we go. The Bible does give us a compelling example of what this looks like in the life of Aquila and Priscilla. We see in verses 1 to 4, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade and stayed with them, and wor- he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. What we know about Aquila and Priscilla from this passage is that, that they were one in the way they stewarded their home and their work, that they had the type of oneness in their marriage, obviously having one God assuming having one bed, assuming having one Bible, because we'll see later they they really understood it, assuming that they had one prayer life, that they were devoted to the regular prayers, they were Jews who were now following to Jesus, They, they were devoted to these kinds of things. Assuming that they were devoted to one mission, because we'll see here they are on mission with Paul, but they were one in the way they stewarded their home and their work. They were the kinds of people who cultivated this kind of biblical oneness in their marriage and it showed in the way they stewarded their work in their home. The very first decision oftentimes in a marriage is what are we gonna, where are we going to live and how are we going to afford to live there? And some of you are young and you're married and you're asking that question right now. Where are we going to live? I can tell you right now, the answer is not Franklin. The answer is not Meridian. The answer is not Austin. It's not Dallas. It's not Plano. It's not Nashville. It's not, it's, it's Orange County, right? The answer is where are we going to live? It's Orange County. But then the second question is, how are we going to afford to live here? And, and the answer to that question is, we're going to have to steward our, our work and our home in such a way. Like, what, what are we, where are we going to live? What do we want our home to be like? And how are we going to do our work to steward that? And Priscilla and Aquila were one in that. And I can just say, like, those two issues, where are we going to live, what kind of house do we need or want, and how are we going to afford to, to, to do it, Th- those are things that could create, well, a little bit less than oneness in the marriage. But Priscilla and Aquila were pursuing this kind of marriage and see whether they one on these things? Secondly, we see um, something else that they were one on. It's, uh, it's here in verse 18 to 21. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So here Priscilla and Aquila all are hosting Paul in their home, contributing to the mission of God in that part of the world, doing their work as they do it, inviting Paul in, Because they obviously had had a business where Paul could come in and actually work with them. They had created a business. And I would just say, if you are Christians and you're like, own your own business or you're entrepreneurs or you can work together, husband and wife, beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Do that as much as you possibly can. Because now they're taking their their vocation, they're taking their business, and they're taking it on the road. They have a kind, they've stewarded, they've cultivated a kind of business that allows them to engage in the mission of God in the world. And even to go away to another place for a while and just set up their business and do it there, unbelievable opportunity for them. They were one in their part in the mission of God in the world. This is the second thing that they were one on. They had, one, where are we going to live? How are we going to provide for that? How are we going to do that through our work? How are we going to steward all this? And then, and then how can we involve, be involved in the mission of God in the world? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the mission of our life is not the mission of our marriage or our family. The mission of our life is the mission of God in the world. And so not only how are we going to steward those things for our family and for legacy and all the things that are good and the Bible speaks to them, godly things. The one thing is how are we going to steward our marriage for the mission of God in the world? And this is what they do. Third thing they do we find in uh, verses 24 to 28 where it says a Jew named Apollos, the native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John... He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They were one in their understanding and application of the gospel. This was a couple where both the husband and the wife were in. They were in on gospeling themselves, gospeling one another, understanding the truth of the gospel and how it applies to various things in life. Again, one of them is mentioned first once one of them's mentioned first another time they're never mentioned separately they're always together they both had this kind of gospel understanding and ability to do gospel application this is not like the guy that comes to the village church and gets involved in growing leaders and goes to apprentice academy and gets involved in the men's Bible study, but his wife is never involved in anything. This is not the wife that's in the woman's study and she's going on the retreats and she's involved in multiple Bible studies and she's going to a prayer group and the man is just totally disengaged. No Bible study, no community group, no small group, no men's accountability group. This is not that picture. This is a picture of a husband and wife both engaged. The husband's saying, I got the kids so you could go to a Bible study, right? The wife's saying, like, I'd love for you to go. I know I'm with the kids all day, you're at work or whatever, but it doesn't matter. I want you with the men at Bible study. I want you going to your accountability group. Or this is the husband and wife that says, and we've had a number of those couples in our church, let's both sign up for Apprentice together next year. Let's go through that Apprentice track for the year together so we can grow in our understanding of the gospel and the application of the gospel. This is this kind of couple. Fourthly, this morning we see something else they're united in, they're one in. We're gonna hop over to First Corinthians sixteen nine. We've been there before this morning. It says the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greeting in the Lord. They are one in their love for the local church. This is a couple are saying, We're gonna steward a home, we're gonna steward our resources, we're gonna be involved in the mission of God in the world. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to do these things well, we're going we're gonna to study the gospel, we're going to apply the gospel, and we're going to love and be devoted to our local church. We're going to make decisions in our life that are connected to the life of our local church because the local church is that important to us. Matter of fact, we're going to house the local church, which tells you something about the success of their business. They likely had a giant home that had a giant courtyard where the church met on a regular basis in their home. This wasn't like a house church, like a community group with 20 people, right? This was like a large house with a lot of dozens of people showing up to church in a house church together. Their lives were devoted to the life of the local church and they were one in that. And sometimes in marriage what can happen is one of the spouses can be devoted to the life of a local church and the other one's kind of like just along for the ride. And that is not the case for Aquil and Priscilla. They are in together, they are one In their devotion to the life of the local church and lastly this morning romans 16 we've been here once already this morning greet prisca and aquila my fellow workers in christ jesus who risked their necks for my life to whom not only i give thanks but all the churches of the gentiles give thanks as well they were one in their willingness to sacrifice all for the sake of christ and his mission when it says that they risked their lives for my life, it means that they were willing to sacrifice their life for the sake of the gospel. They were literally willing to lay down their lives. Both of them. Aquila and Priscilla were saying, if worse comes to worse, we're willing to die for the sake of Christ. And so that's why we steward our, our home and, and our work. And that's why we that's why we study and apply the gospel, right? This this is why we we are involved in the life of a local church. This is why we have a A a view of what part we have to play in the mission of God in the world even. Because we are so devoted to Jesus Christ because he has made us one with himself. He's made us one with one another. And now our one thing in life is we are so devoted to him that at the end of the day, if we have to lay down our lives for Jesus, we will do it. And they proved that they would. They proved that they would. You know, again, I've, been, I've been, been at this a little while. 29 years of marriage in, in July. Um, been involved in the life of the church all of that time. Been a pastor over a quarter century now. And what I can tell you is, in Orange County, there are not a lot of people like this. In Orange County, there are not a lot of Christians like this. What I, my experience tells me is there are a lot of professing Christians in Orange County who want to steward their work and their home. They want to be successful in the work, and they need to be to afford to live here and they wanna steward their homes well. They wanna raise their kids to be, you know, good citizens and members of society and polite and have good values and those sorts of things. And they might actually be willing to write a check to like support missionaries and their part in the mission of God in the world is to write a check, but they would rarely go. Or they don't actually understand the deeper things of the truth of the gospel and they're not willing to have conversations to apply them in the lives of other people. And certainly, ask to live or die for Jesus, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, not sure many of us in Orange County would just say, yeah, like, we'll, we'll actually do that when push comes to, to show up. I was thinking this week, what an incredible opportunity. Because you know what? You, you know where there are a lot of those kinds of people? In this room. In this room and in this church, there are a lot of couples like Priscilla and Aquila, like Aquila and Priscilla. There are a lot of couples in this church that are saying, we're completely devoted to Jesus Christ. We want to steward our home and our resources in a way that That is part of the mission of God in the world. We're willing to write the checks and send the kids to Hume Lake and support Andi in in Albania, but like we want to go. Can we, when can we go? When can we be involved? When can we get there? These are, these are couples that are saying like, we wanna to study together and we wanna share the gospel with our neighbors and we wanna open up our home and we wanna create hospital environments and invite people in. And at the end of the day, if, if push comes to shove and there's something that needs to be laid down like a job or a home or whatever, like we're willing to lay it down we're will, because we're willing to risk our lives for the sake of the gospel. We're willing to die to ourselves for the sake of being raised with and to Christ. And this church is filled with people like that. And what, what the most exciting thought for me this week was outside of thinking about applying these things in my own marriage, was how these things apply to the life of this church. What an exciting thing it would be to have an entire church filled with, with couples and marriages like this. It's to- whole, totally unstoppable. The, this would be amazing. And you know what, Village Church, this church is becoming more and more like that by God's grace. There's great marriages in the life of this church. Not perfect marriages, but really great ones. And I know we're spurring one another on in these things. I want to invite um, Reagan and the guys to come. And and, um, this final moment, I want to give you a final image of marriage. You know, in the beginning, we we talked about Genesis and we talked about Jesus' teaching. We talked about the teaching of the early church. But then if you go all the way to the end, all the way to Revelation, you see in Revelation 21, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, And in the end, there is this image of the marriage supper of the lamb and that we are the bride, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And that we are united together with Christ in a more intimate and incredible way than we would be united with anyone, including our spouse. Life is ultimately about that union because if you're not yet a Christian, the Bible teaches that in the beginning, we were united together with God in the beginning. As men and women, our first parents, Adam and Eve, were in the garden. They were perfectly united together with God. But then they sinned against God, wanting to be the God of their own life, thinking that their way was better than God's way. And when they did, that separated their relationship with God. It broke their relationship with God and one another. But if you're not yet a Christian, the Bible teaches that God wasn't content to leave us in that place, but he would come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he would live a sinless life on our behalf, a life we could never live. He would die our sinner's death on the cross and in our place and for our sins. He would take the weight and the penalty of, of all of our sin on himself on the cross. And then he would raise three days later to give us life we could never have otherwise. A life that's forgiven for all the things we've done wrong against him and one another. And then to reconcile us to him and one another. And to free us to live the kind of life that he had intended from us from the beginning. The kind of life, the kind of marriage that, that has the kind of oneness we really want and desire. It's possible through Jesus. And that's the good news this morning. That Jesus has made us one with himself. And he's given us the gift of marriage as a compelling daily reminder of that oneness. I hope that's good news for you this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we we do thank you for uniting us together with yourself. (laughs) At the end of the day, there's nothing else. We thank you for this. We thank you for uniting us together with one another in marriage giving us the opportunity to experience something of that oneness, but give us the opportunity to point to the kind of oneness that you have with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for these things. And, and so we, we worship you in this moment because we, we're grateful that you've united us together with yourself. Will you help us to sing, to worship, to respond out of hearts of gratitude? We ask it in Jesus'